Hi everyone, uh, my name's Nick Lambert, I'm the CEO of DOC and welcome to Identity3, which is a podcast all about Web3 and digital identity. Um, I'm delighted to be joined today by um, Alex Lyashok. Um, Alex, uh, thanks for coming on. Thanks Nick, pleasure to be here. I was, we're talking just before we started Alex and uh, um, obviously do a little bit of research before um, we have a guest on and uh, the, the reading of yours was probably more extensive than most. Um, we were joking before about, about how busy you've been in your working life. Um, and just to give uh, the listeners a bit of an insight into that, um, Alex, you've been working in the technology industry for uh, since 1997, uh, so quite a few years now. Uh, you've got multiple degrees from uh, from the Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology and also uh, an MBA from New York, uh, which is the Stern School of Business. Um, you're currently with uh, Merit Protocol, which is a startup you founded about 18 months ago. And of course, that's how you and I have met. Um, and prior to that, you were the CEO of WorkFusion, which was a leading software as a service provider for um, in intelligent automation for Fortune 500 companies. Um, and working specifically with the or in the insurance and financial uh, sectors. And you're actually CEO there for, for quite a while, five years. Um, so I'm sure that was an interesting time for you as well. Even prior to that, I saw uh, some interesting pictures of you in the New York Stock Exchange, because prior to that, you're with a company, I don't know if it's EPAM uh, is the acronym for it. Looked like you had multiple right. positions there, but also looked like you had both, I would imagine, the fun and the stress of taking a, a company public, which um, a, a few people have done, but is uh, I'm sure that's uh, an interesting journey for you, a lot of fun and a lot of stress. Um, and you were there for quite a few years as well. And then finally, in amongst all of that stuff, um, whilst you also found Merit Protocol, you were also a partner of a VC firm, firm New Layer Capital, which is really looking in and around the intersection between blockchain and sustainability. So I don't really know how you find the time. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. Uh, that's that's a very generous introduction. Yeah, my, my personal background is that I came up as a software engineer. I'm Ukrainian originally, but as you mentioned, went to school in Moscow and really started to work in tech. As, as soon as I as soon as I found the time, even while while doing my studies. Uh, but I spent all of my professional life in New York, where I moved right after school and all of it in enterprise software. So I had the chance to see how technology has evolved yeah. in the past three decades or so. And uh, it's always exciting. But uh, I think the current wave of artificial intelligence, the current wave of Web3 is... Uh, the very exciting development. So I'm looking forward to today's discussion. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Um, so let's kick the ball, uh, get things moving forward, Alex. Um, so can you maybe tell people um, what does Merit do? What, what are you trying to, what is the company uh, set up to do? Um, what kind of markets um, is it looking to target? Yeah, so we, we, we are building this company because we're on a mission to uh, make better products for employees based on their uh, to fully realize the potential of their work record. So, as we all you know have firsthand experience, 
career track record is one of you know if in in many places it's the biggest asset that the person has because it essentially uh, serves as a predictor of their income and income is is the main asset for for many many people in the world but it's very difficult for many people to get access to good products because today uh, even where we are access to employment data is very difficult and so it's very difficult for companies to make products that are that are based on that yeah and so we we've set out to build a company that solves that problem and we have a particular focus on financial services industry insurance industries where the access to data is regulated and is under stringent controls but uh, it's very important to to the products that they make loans uh, insurance policies uh, and things like that so we have started our journey not too long ago nick as you've mentioned only just over a year ago uh, but we made this our mission and so we we can d- dive deeper into it and it's it's an interesting uh use case as well um as because i remember one of the things that for, that that stuck out in my head from some of our earliest conversations something that i hadn't considered is a big part of, of what what you guys work on solving is really reducing the um, amount of red tape or even um you know, bypassing that for people, employees, as you say, looking to access financial services. And I think you, you, you highlighted, and I don't know why it stuck with me, but you get there's a kind of large um, body of people, particularly in America, who take out, you know, 10, 12 loans, relatively low value loans every single year. Um, and for those people having to go through the, the red tape involved in, in processing a loan is extremely arduous. And, and um, you know, that, that was a really interesting um, use case for your technology and to show how quickly you guys could make life, make the the, uh, the person applying for the loans their life so much easier. Um, is that the kind of main use case that you would see or, or things like that? It's it, This use case is an excellent illustration of, you know, why the problem exists because, you know, for listeners who, who don't know, uh, even in a country like United States, but that that is more, even more prevalent worldwide uh, in a country of 300 million people 20 million people take out large number of very small loans uh, to kind of meet their daily financial needs so this could be on average a 400 dollar loan uh, that they on average take out eight times a year so uh, to meet you know emergency needs but also to just just kind of to live paycheck to paycheck. And the challenge for for those types of consumers is that kind of today's value chain of how a product like a loan is, is made uh, is based on data. Bank needs access to information about the person to, to actually underwrite the loan to make sure that, uh, you know, there will be a repayment on, on, on the loan portfolio. Uh, but that access access to the data comes from centralized institutions, consumer reporting agencies, TransUnion, Equifax, and Experian are the ones that are well known in the United States. They also operate globally. And unfortunately, the challenge is that access to the data is quite expensive. Uh, expensive for two reasons, because it costs a lot to collect the data uh, into a big database and uh, secure it. 
uh, and also the quality of the data can can vary widely. So in order to underwrite a loan for for a person who may have a thin file, additional data may need to be procured, or the data that has been previously made available needs to be verified. And so it can cost the bank anywhere from thirty to fifty to sixty dollars to actually acquire enough data to make a decision about making even a small dollar loan like that. And and you know, if you think about it, I'm not a banker myself, but it's not a very good business to be making five hundred dollar loans when it costs you fifty dollars to to acquire a customer. And so what ends up happening is a lot of customers like that they they are underserved by the industry. Uh, banks either do not want to to make loans like that, uh, or are very selective about the types of customers that they acquire. And so, cottage industry of what is known as payday loans has sprung up, where you know through storefronts or online, uh, consumers like this uh, get enticed into taking out loans that are just terrible financial products. They can have 400, 700% annual percentage rate, which is very expensive. So it may cost a person like that $500 in, in costs just to take out $500 loan. So uh, can potentially take a form of a vicious cycle or, or a spiral where a person is taking out loans to pay off previous loans. And so clearly, uh, you know, a situation that is not optimal for you know, large chunk of population. And, and that is just one use case, but uh, that is true more broadly that data, particularly employment data, is, is an important component of many products and many industries. And so having robust access uh, and the ability to guarantee the quality of the data is, is very important. And I guess as well, like in your example, Alex, uh, you know, $50, $60 when the loan's approved, I guess, There'll be many occasions where the loan is not approved and they're just, you know, costs on top. So, so it makes the business even more expensive for the, the financial, uh, the person providing the loan. I'm also thinking as you were talking there in the current economic climate with interest rates going through the roof and, and uh, cost of living rising, the, 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 the problem that we describe here, the 20 million or so people, that number is only going to have grown, I would imagine, in the last kind of six months, nine months. Yeah, because... Uh... You know, mortgages in particular are becoming very expensive. A lot of them have been written with the variable rate. And so as interest rates go up, people's mortgage payments start to go up, uh, which uh, further reduces their disposable income, further puts them into position to look for credit, uh, which they can turn to credit card, which in the United States has just now crossed trillion dollars, you know, all time high. Uh, wow. Which, on average, by the way, is also twenty percent interest product. So not a, not in a not an inexpensive way to to take, take out credit. So we think that solving this problem is uh, is important at all times, but is very relevant in twenty twenty three, where the economic environment is very uncertain and and is unclear when when it will become less so. Yeah, of course. And how do you then use so so we have um, so what you've described, Alex, is um, what we could call a reasonably sized uh, amount of um, what I call verified data. So data held by an employer um, about an individual. So, so we can know that the likelihood is that that data is pretty good, pretty up to date, because employers obviously tend to, to need to know that stuff. And of course, 
they know someone's position, they know their salary and the types of information that a lender would look for. How does verifiable credentials um, fit into uh, this use case for you? That's a great question, Nick. Uh, you know, the way we think at Merit about this is uh, kind of in, in terms of inherent trade-offs that companies make when they deal with data. Uh, so if we think about anonymity, uh, utility and security, three different attributes of data, ability to preserve the privacy of the person disclosing, ability to have enough information to make a useful product, and then ability to control access and prevent misuse. Uh, it's It has traditionally been thought of that you can only have two of three. Uh, so it's impossible to be anonymous you know, and provide utility and security. And, and industries have chosen different ways to operate uh, based based on those trade-offs. So, for example, in healthcare, data is typically very, you know, privacy is a typically top concern and data is very secure, but as a result, there is not a lot of utility. Consumers typically don't have access to their own data and it's very difficult for them to, to make products. In financial services industry, uh, different set of trade-offs was made. Financial services industry is very concerned with security and utility of the data but the way they have solved for for privacy really led to creation of these centralized entities where information about consumers is widely available uh, in these databases and so very prone to, to crime, uh, identity theft, but, but also financial fraud, money laundering and, and other uh, bad things. And it has been this way for, for, for a long time and nothing really has changed much in technology landscape uh, to affect that. But uh, with advancement of, of computer science, really, in, in cybersecurity, particularly with verifiable credentials and zero-knowledge proofs, uh, we now start to see potentially a shift in, in the trade-offs between anonymity, utility, and security, where... Uh, perhaps we can achieve those same levels of compliance and same levels of protection while creating better products while preserving the privacy of users. Uh, in particular, zero-knowledge proofs is, is a type of encryption that allows the consumer to reveal information, certain information about him or herself without uh, jeopardizing a complete, complete set of data. And verifiable credentials is is a way to to use encryption amongst other things to make it very easy for consumers to present information about themselves uh, while maintaining things like selective disclosure where they can choose what the what the institution needs to see. So we think it's these technologies have, are now uh, developed to the point where they become practical for the types of use cases that we want to address, particularly in financial services industry. And so with this mission that we that we feel very passionate about to make better products for more employees worldwide, we, we are in the business of commercializing this technology. Uh, there is still a lot of work to be done to make this technology easy to, to use in the context of these use cases. So it sounds like, Alex, from what you're describing, <clears throat> Merit Protocol are kind of sitting as a, a connecting technology between employers and financial service companies um, and 
enabling the, the employees sitting within the middle to be able to access financial services, but do so in a way that's kind of privacy enhancing, almost like the holy grail of IT, giving those anonymity, utility and um, security all at once. Is that a fair assessment of, of where you see merit sitting in, in, that, in those relationships? It, 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 that, that's, that's exactly right. We bridge uh, companies that make products uh, you know, banks, lenders, insurance companies, and, and others with uh, with employees. Yeah, and and we focus very heavily on u- using a company, an organization, or an enterprise as a, as a bridge to make that happen. In many cases, a lender is willing to extend their what they call credit box set of criteria that they use to make a decision about the loan uh, if they get access to. Uh, more higher quality data or a bigger pool of, of customers where they don't have to spend money acquiring them. But it's it's very difficult for them to do because employers traditionally are, are very risk averse to begin with. But if if you were to go to an employer today and tell them that we can make loans available for, for your employees more easily, they will automatically default into an assumption that that they're selling the data of their employees because that's how the industry has operated for a very long time, and so we we make it our business to to change that. Yeah, we want those products to be made available without compromising anonymity. And like any startup, that's probably um, at the cutting edge and almost kind of. Um, you know, paving the way, you're having to I imagine, ah, let's go through a kind of lot of education. Um, so what Doc has found over um, our, our own commercialization journey over the last 18 months to two years so far is that it's becoming less so, but we found at the start that actually needing to educate, so not only saying, look, there's these great features and benefits of, of this technology, but then needing to educate them about, about how actually getting to understand how it works um, so that they know what they're buying and what they're getting themselves into. It sounds like you're going through that, that similar process yourself at the moment. Yeah, I think that's, that's certainly true. Uh, you know, I have emphasized both in terms of what we do at Merit, but also just thinking about my own previous experience, spending time to build an AI company just before that. Uh, and we've started doing that, you know, almost 10 years ago. And just you know, as as we record this podcast, it's just now that there are consumer use cases like ChatGPT, where to an average person, it is becoming clear how powerful the technology is. Uh, so it did take some time uh, from the point where the technology is becoming usable to the point where you know, on the main street, you stop a person, and they they can they can relate to to this to what this technology can do. I think we're not there yet with you know, certainly verifiable credentials, uh, nor we are with zero knowledge proofs. Uh, but I think it's important to look for partners who, who are early adopters, who see the potential, who focus on use cases that are painful enough today that application of this, types of, of this type of technology can, can you know, relieve the pain. And that's, that's what we that's what we focus on right now finding those institutions lenders banks that already uh, are engaged with employers that are looking to build better products 
uh, and are looking for ways to access that data in a better ways. And you know, we're a small company, so having one or two key partners like that uh, makes 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 a lot of difference. And we were very excited about the the progress that we're making in that regard. Fantastic. I know of interest, a slightly kind of left field question, Alex, but what you've been involved in, in lots of businesses at um, different stages, um, you know, some obviously going as, as far as going public and very well established business, some startups as well. Do you have a preference for stage? Like, do you find that you're at your best at the start when everything's a bit muddled and you're trying to find product market fit? Or do you find that working in um, a much more organized, um, established business is, is more interesting to you? How, how have you found that over the course of your career? Do you, do you have a preference? I think more, more and more. So I kind of gravitate towards earlier stage. Uh, you know, obviously means earlier stage businesses, uh, but that could also be as a part of larger enterprise. I find it very interesting when, when companies are trying to take a technology that is going through early stages of its curve of adoption and technologies get adopted in what is called an S-curve, meaning that initially a very few people use them, oftentimes almost as a toy. Uh, and those technologies oftentimes are kind of disregarded or uh, you know have people have condescending attitude towards them. But as those use cases become more powerful, as, as the proof points come through, more and more people adopt until eventually the laggards come in and you know few remaining enterprises jump on board. Uh, my, my interest is in earlier stages of those S-curves. So whether that is within the context of a company like Merit, where I'm very excited to build it, uh, or at some point in time, I was involved in consulting business at EPAM, where we as a firm help other companies navigate those types of challenges that's that's where my passion is. You know, I'm a technologist myself. I, you know, wrote assembly code and when I went to high school, and uh, so saw the technology move from that point where you needed to almost write binary code to today, where you know GPT four, you know, can consume natural language and do things that many things that I can't do. Uh, it's very exciting and. Uh, and it, and it's true that those technologies are very powerful. At the same time, they need companies like like Doc and like Merit to tailor them to the use cases, uh, because companies don't wake up every day thinking about like, let me see what other new uh, technologies are out there. They wake up solving their customers' problems, and so they need they need other organizations to help them. Do you think you would? Uh, do you see yourself? I mean, Chat GPT is on everyone's lips almost. Wherever you go now, it's the first thing that you see in the morning and the last thing that you see at night. Do you think that, um, I mean, if you get plans to integrate AI and uh, machine learning into um, Merit Protocol's offerings, do, do you see a, a roadmap for that in your future? We, we, we do use AI, particularly privacy preserving AI, which sometimes is called federated AI or uh, differential privacy, kind of different technical terms. Uh, which which goes to that trade-off between utility and anonymity. Uh, in order to find the best product for a person, you you know the more data you have about that person, the more likely you are to to find a better match. And so companies train AI models that that do that. However, 
in the context where we want to preserve the anonymity of the person, minimize the data that is being shared, uh, and perhaps even share it in an encrypted form, the utility of, of AI uh, can can be dramatically reduced. So there is there is a subset of, of machine learning field that focuses on building machine learning models that are trained uh, within isolated environment data isolated environments, but then their learnings are combined across multiple environments to create kind of a one model that doesn't doesn't have any private information, but but yet is is able to incorporate that. In fact, many people don't know, but the technology first was popularized by by Apple, where uh, when you plug in your phone overnight, uh, it actually is training a machine learning model on your phone to recognize images that you have without sending those images to to Apple and you know revealing your private family pictures or anything like that, which obviously would not be great. <laughs> they 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 came up with that use case where machine learning model is trained on a phone, yet if you have good pictures of, you know, houses and somebody else has good pictures of houses, both of you will be will have a better search for house when you type it in, in your phone. Similarly, we apply that in our in our use case. Within one company you may not have enough employees or enough engagement with the product to really understand what kind of person would be the best fit. But if we combine employees across multiple companies, we can create a much better matching between the product specification, the type of a loan, and an employee. And so we, we use the technology to, in combination with encryption to, uh, to target those products and then make, 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 the pro- make the process of acquiring the product more seamless. And is that technology still running today, Alex? The one that you mentioned, so is everyone's iPhone out there just now kind of going through that machine learning process? Yeah, yeah. Wow. I know it's, it's just happening more and more. Uh, you, iPhones have neural engine, I forget, I forget what Apple calls this, but you know, a subset of, of its computing power is a special chip that performs what is called edge AI, uh, AI computations uh, on your phone. Part of them is applying the machine learning model, but part of them is also training machine learning models. Okay. Oh, interesting. I never, never knew that at all. I'll be viewing my iPhone with suspicion now uh, moving forward, um, but that's good to know. And um, what do you see the impact for this technology, Alex, moving more back to, to um, Merit's current offering? Like, what do you see the impact of, of this new way of working, this new way of offering financial services? What kind of impact do you think it's going to have on the the industry? Yeah, I think it could be quite profound. Um, you know, we talked about that $50 cost of the loan. Uh, we think we can bring that down 10x, uh, so make it $5 by, by removing unnecessary uh, data verification, by reducing the, you know, by not storing the data and thus removing the cost of needing to secure it by connecting consumer with an institution more directly through more efficient engagement mechanisms. And uh, I think that, that that moves it from unfeasible to a good product for many institutions. So with that, we hope that uh, more institutions will be making these types of loans. And so these more predatory parts of you know shadow banking system or a banking system will will start disappearing and, and so people will be in a better position to 
finance their personal life. Yeah. Uh, and that is in that one use case, which on any average day in the United States, for example, there is 500,000 people looking for a loan. So it's, it's quite, wow. quite a lot of people. And so it, it, it makes a difference every day. But as we expand that to insurance, as we expand that to even online commerce, where uh, transactions are now becoming smaller and smaller, and loans are becoming smaller and smaller. Almost everyone has an experience with buy now, pay later loans where you can finance you know, small appliance purchase right away. Uh, today, those loans are very poorly underwritten because it's very difficult to get enough information about the consumer in the context of an online transaction and get reliable information. Again, you don't want to pay $30 to, to obtain it. But if a consumer has control over their data, in a way where the data has known provenance and can be cryptographically authenticated, why can't they present it online during the transaction and get a better better discount? Uh, we think that eventually this will proliferate. Eventually people will have better control of their data. Employment data it, you know, is our business, so we're working on that. And we'll be able to interoperably presented in, in different use cases from shopping online to getting a job to getting a loan. Yeah. And it sounds powerful as well. I mean, not, you're getting benefit right through all the stakeholders in that in that loop as well. So you're getting potentially a 10x reduction in the costs of the financial service company um, underwriting that loan, but then also the individual is going through less red tape and having more control over their data. So it does seem like a, a really compelling use case. It can, you know, the consumer experience can be terrible. You go through 60 screens on your phone, re-entering same information many times, and and you may not, you know, only 40% of those loans get funded at the end of the day to your, to your earlier point. So the UX is terrible, and the 10 data points that the lender needs, employer has all 10 of them. So why can't a consumer give permission, uh, get permission to take control of the data and pass it along to the lender? It just makes sense. We're just eliminating waste. It does, and it's like as soon as someone points out uh, like a, that concept to you, it makes it's it's almost obvious. It makes perfect sense, and you kind of start to wonder why has no one done it before. But I guess it's because obviously having the technology that that's not really existed, and then of course putting it all together is 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 not always that easy either. Um, and that probably brings us on to um, to, to so Docker obviously helping with the. The credentialing element um, and, and also the wallet um, side of your solution, so the ability for these credentials potentially to be stored by the individual in a kind of convenient um, uh, place, which is typically your phone. We've talked about phones already today. Um, what made you choose Doc, Alex? That there is a few other providers out there. Obviously, that's how you and I met. What um, what made you choose us to to partner with you? Yeah, there are, there are definitely options. We, we look for alignment on the mission. First and foremost, we want to work with an organization that uh, is also making it their business to enable consumers to take control of their data, to work on decentralization in the sense of reducing reliance on centralized institutions or institutions that potentially could engage in predatory behaviors, which is which is very prevalent prevalent in the financial services industry, and and so Doc was, uh, you know, obviously being focused on blockchain and and implementing this technology through through that ecosystem is a good fit, uh, but also we looked for for a partner that 
uh, creates a secure, reliable solution that uh, that can be made compliant with you know GDPR or other consumer protection laws that exist in different uh, uh, jurisdictions. And so, uh, when we kind of put all of those criteria together, as much as there are many different different options, Doc kind of emerged as as the one that we felt we we are aligned with. But also, you know, teams working together. You know, you and I have have, uh, have found good good yep. cadence and. Uh, ability at the early stage to get attention, uh, you know, work together on the roadmap, which is what we're doing right now, is also very important, and, and we're getting that here. Great, yeah, that's great to be great, great to be partnered with you as well. Um, so then, kind of zooming back, um, Alex, I know that you're you, you obviously through this conversation, technology is something that that you can tell is like a deep interest for you as well, and I know from um, the kind of venture firm that you're involved with as well. You'll be very close to blockchain. You'll be seeing lots of emerging solutions that use blockchain and, and you know, obviously in, in a sustainable way. Um, what makes you most excited um, in the Web3 space just now? Yeah, I think I think there are so many things that it's almost like difficult to, to, to pick some. As you mentioned, I, I am involved with the firm uh, called New Layer, which invests at the intersection of sustainability uh, and blockchain technology, which I think is a very exciting um, place to be. It sounds narrow initially, but if you think about it, uh, the sources of energy that exist today, uh, they're in many ways are underutilized. A lot of energy is stranded. Uh, I don't know how much you 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 spend thinking about it, but you've probably seen a gas flare, you know, a pipe sticking in the sky, just burning gas. Uh, it's a byproduct of oil and gas industry. There are thousands of those, you know, even in the United States, but many more worldwide. And the reason why uh, that energy is burned off is because there is no easy way to consume it on site. Distribution costs money. Uh, and there is no easy way to attract off takers to to consume that energy, and so uh, you know, blockchain and, and technology industry offers a solution there as well, where remote data centers can be built at a very small scale, installed on site to instead of venting that gas into atmosphere, could be routed to a generator that powers compute environments, compute environments that sometimes are used for you know mining Bitcoin. Which is which is a ready ready made use case which anybody can engage in, but it's not too hard to imagine that energy like that, that today is essentially wasted can be routed to compute environments that could, amongst other things, power you know zk proof computations which are very compute intensive or AI inference computations. And I think you know industry will evolve that way that decentralized technology uh, technologies that shift current trade-offs they will become more prevalent over time and uh, web3 with its playbook for how to incentivize participants through uh through sharing in the economies i think is a key key element of driving the speed of that adoption yeah oh nicely put yeah it's an exciting space and like even just thinking going through those examples there we do think about all the, the lost energy and the use of blockchain to try and uh, harbor that into other use cases that you know, I'm sure you see a lot of interesting uh, pitches come your way 
Um, my final question, Alex, is uh, we talked about the future for, for Web3. What's the future for Merit? Where do you see you guys going in the next kind of five, 10 years? Right now, we're very focused as a small company on kind of two to three year timeframe, partnering with, with key institutions. Uh, we are very excited uh, about the relationships that we're developing. We, we can't quite talk about them publicly, but we will uh, together when we launch that in infusing their products with privacy preserving technology so that they can make better products or distribute them in innovative ways. Uh, we were very excited about a mobile wallet that, that we are building together with Doc that will be launching launching pretty soon. Uh, that will that will help with education, making it clearer for employers and employees how verifiable credentials, how ZK proofs work, and what does it mean to quickly scan a QR code and be able to prove certain facts about yourself instead of doing 60 screens online. Uh, so even small wins like that, I think, are very important in making moving things forward. But when we think about five to ten years, we think that this technology will be will be widely spread and will will be inside financial products, but also within you know e-commerce, as I mentioned, or uh, even things like hiring. We're working right now with a company in the recruiting space that wants to use our technology to reduce fraud in recruiting. Uh, for example, in India last year, um, almost 20,000 people were let go for fraudulent uh, reasons. People lip syncing their interviews. Uh, you know, interview one person, another shows up. There is their identity issues and, and kind of security versus anonymity trade-offs in that industry as well. And so... If we can make merit, make better experiences, including hiring experience for companies in ten years, that that you know that would be terrific. That's consistent with our mission. Fantastic! Yeah, it sounds like there's lots of different avenues for for merit to go down. But Alex, I wanted to thank you for uh, for coming on. I really appreciate your time. Uh, the conversation's been super interesting. I could talk to you all day about um, all the different aspects, but. For the sake of uh, of time and also our editor needing to, to go through all this stuff, we'll, we'll leave it there. But thank you very much for joining us on Identity3. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Nick. <laughs>